1: I remember um, speaking to Monique Bowley, who I think is head of podcast at ABC now. And she, she worked with us at Mamma Mia. And there were a few times after we'd left our jobs where we were trying to make shameless a thing. And she we kept saying to her, like, none of these networks will pick us up. We're just going to keep pitching. And she was like, stop pitching. Keep stay Like, stay independent. It will be the best thing that you ever do. And it has been the best thing that's ever happened to us. And it's probably been the best advice we've ever been given because it's meant we can kind of do whatever we want and also say whatever we want without getting
2: sued. Welcome to Behind the Podcast, your weekly dive into the stories behind your favorite podcasts. This week we talked to Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews, the founders of the cultural phenomenon which is Shameless Media. Shameless began life as a podcast back in March of 2018 and is now a series of podcasts, a book club, and an influential social media voice. I'm your host, Anthony Stockdale, and as always, I'm joined by Jules Batstone. Hello. If you have not heard of Shameless or are living under a rock, here's a little sample.
0: So what's interesting about this is because they're filming in coronavirus lockdown, Lily James and Dominic West have been filming in a bubble, so he likely hasn't been able to see his wife and four children in months. So it's not that surprising that he maybe became a little bit too close with a co-star, but as soon as this came out, within 24 hours he went back to the UK. And then, wearing the exact same outfit he was photographed with Lily James in, he did a press conference with his wife. He didn't even fucking get changed between the two women.
1: Yeah, this is one of the most incredible parts about this story. Actually, there are a lot of incredible parts, and we still haven't even touched on half of them, so you guys just hold on to your coffee this morning. Yes, he is in the same show. The same pants And the same belt I think you'll find He <laughs> just has a brown coat Over the top But it is exactly The same outfit
3: A big week this week The Australian Podcast Awards Announced their finals For 2020 And I'm sure This is no surprise Shameless has been nominated For the best Entertainment podcast Their show Love Etc Has also been nominated For best sex And relationship podcast Let's go behind the podcast So Tell us about Shameless Shameless
1: <laughs> I can go, Mish. You just pulled back from the microphone, which is usually our code <laughs> when we do podcasting that I'm not answering that question. So there's a little bit of behind the podcast for you. Um, Shameless is a podcast that started about two and a half years ago when Mish and I found ourselves wanting to consume content that we loved in a way that didn't treat our interests as stupid. And I think when I say that, I mean, we wanted to have conversations about The Bachelor or celebrity or pop culture in a way that we didn't think was dumb. And I think that we felt a lot of the mainstream media Treated a lot of these issues quite literally and kind of didn't treat or give young women the respect we felt like they deserved. So we thought, you know what? If this content's not out there, let's try and create it. So we tried to. I mean, initially we pitched it to our workplace at the time who had a podcast network. They weren't especially interested. So we thought, let's just seize this idea while we've got it. And we tried to do it ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think the um, rejection story for Mama Mia has become so baked into what we do and why we do it. I mean, it's a story we've told a million different times how they said yes and they said no. And then I think it was 11 weeks after we launched Shameless, we left our jobs there within 24 hours of each other. And I think that rejection was so crucial for both of us. I think if we had always heard yeses along the line and as we went on, we wouldn't have been so passionate or so committed to making this on our own. And I feel like we were rejected by every major podcasting company in the country in the first six months. And I think every no just kind of emboldened us and made us want to do it even more because we've never, ever doubted the, I guess, the message or the reason behind why we wanted to create Shameless. We are the demographic of who we're appealing to and we were looking to our sisters and looking to our friends and our cousins and thinking, there is a market for this. Why doesn't anyone want it? So I'm just so glad that we did it anyway.
3: Yeah, well, it absolutely solidifies your place there. And I guess as well, if you're not getting anyone who's actually going to buy in, you sort of know, all right, well, there's definitely still a niche here that we can take advantage of and <laughs> why not go alone?
1: Oh, yeah. And I think I remember um, speaking to Monique Bowley, who I think is head of podcast at ABC now and she she, she worked with us at Mamma Mia and there are a few times after we'd left our jobs where we were trying to make shameless a thing and she we kept saying to her like none of these networks will pick us up we're just going to keep pitching and she was like stop pitching keep stay like stay independent it will be the best thing that you ever do and it has been the best thing that's ever happened to us and it's probably been the best advice we've ever been given because it's meant we can kind of do whatever we want and also say whatever we want we want without getting sued. Zara and I
0: were 23 and thought, we need something to make us desirable. We can't just be writers anymore. And so we thought, well, we need to upskill. We need to train ourselves in something. And shameless was always something to upskill ourselves and make ourselves desirable to, I don't know, the ABC or whoever might hire us down the track. So to look back at the last two years and think, wow, we're not only self-employed, we have a company and an office and we have employees and we work with contractors Every day or every week. It's so surprising, but in the best way possible. We never ever saw ourselves as business people. Uh, we always saw ourselves as creatives first. So this is as much of a surprise to us as it is to anyone.
2: So going back to that first episode on what, March 12th, 2018, what was your employment situation? What was your financial situation? Were you full time podcasters? Where were you?
1: So we were yo- like, we were young and we didn't have any help. I mean, I had the. The benefit of living at home, I wasn't paying rent. So I didn't have that cost over my head. Michelle did. But when it came to what we were going to throw into the podcast and how we were going to invest in it, I remember asking a bunch of different people for equipment advice. And I remember the Zoom came back to us and it was just like not even in our budget. We had to go with the Scarlet 2i2, if you remember that one, the little (laughs) red thing. And that was how we started because it was the cheapest thing that we could find that had good reviews. So we started with the Scarlet 2i2 and we had no marketing budget. So we came up with creative ideas. I say we, Michelle is far more the ideas person than I, and she started printing out posters to stick on uni bathroom doors.
0: Yeah, we used, I think, like Chrissy Teigen, Kim Kardashian, maybe a couple of married at first sight identities kind of photoshopped them in these posters to be talking about Shameless or referring to recent episodes. And I guess we had no budget. We had no social following either. I mean, Mm. Zara and I were not influential in an Instagram sense or in any sense, really. (laughs) We were basically followed by our family and friends. So when you're kind of faced with this proposition of how the F, if are we going to grow this thing. It was like, okay, well we have $30 each that we can use every two weeks. That's $60 worth of posters to print off at Officeworks. We know that one way to access young women is in university bathrooms. (laughs) So it was disgusting and it was gross. And I owe my siblings a lot because they came around with me and Zara to a bunch of universities around the city, like Deakin, Melbourne Uni, Monash Uni, Swinburne I think at one stage Zara and yeah just went door to door and we would have done hundreds and hundreds of posters in the first few months.
3: So before you kind of got to that stage where you felt like we're going to go out and really do a push and potentially become known as either podcasters or heavy IBS sufferers (laughs) you were doing a bachelor recap on on Mamma Mia that was that your Mm. first experience with actually podcasting?
1: Yeah (laughs) Yeah, it was. And and I think it set us up in a way that was pretty good. Like it was was not a great podcast. I think Michelle will attest to that too. But <laughs> I remember sitting at my desk at Mamma Mia and it was all open plan. And Michelle and I would have like rather obnoxious Twitterings in the office about The Bachelor or celebrity or pop culture. And Monique Bolly, who I mentioned before, just said to us, you know, I need to get you two in a studio. So she put us in a studio and... I remember like a couple of hours before the trial run where we were put in the studio, we were like at a cafe, like writing a script and writing notes and like overanalyzing the episode the night before, like over planning this thing. And I think that's very much how we've done things ever since. Like we are meticulous planners, even for something that silly and that stupid with not a huge listener reach. We were obsessed with making it good and perfect and um, yeah we jumped in that studio and I, I actually it's all a blur I don't really remember I'm sure people could go back and find it but I don't have the strength the
0: funniest thing is everyone told us do not script it line for line that will be terrible audio but we were so anxious like I remember being nervous to sit in front of a microphone for the first year of podcasting including Shameless and so we literally wrote line by line because we were worried that if we sat behind microphones nothing would come out Uh so yeah, we did script those that season of Batch Chat. And then even with the first episode of Shameless, I hate the thought of anyone going back and listening because I'm pretty sure it was very heavily scripted, which is almost the opposite of how we do the podcast now. We have a couple of dot points uh per section and per segment that we want to do, but we try to make it as organic as possible. And I often find myself now not even really referring to my notes. And the more I do refer to my notes, the more jammed up I think I get and the more Zara gets so we've really tried to make it as conversational as possible at the moment.
3: Well we did listen to the first one as we tend to do uh, on this show you're definitely dealing with some full-on topics straight off the bat and I know sort of listening to it you were talking about Bella Hadid and the role of her in being an ambassador for plastic surgery or a spokesperson rather Mm. um, and an obligation (laughs) to declare these kind of things And, and I just wonder over time has your opinion changed on those sorts of things? I mean, you're really kind of throwing yourselves out there on that first episode. and
1: Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, it's actually – it's been something that we've had a lot of conversations about behind the scenes because I think there's a lot of naivety when you just start sort of spitting fire in a microphone when you think no one's listening and um, you're saying – you've got opinions on quite divisive things and then your audience grows and then people naturally go back and you're like, well, shit, like I've hopefully got – quite a bit smarter in the last, I don't even know if that sentence made sense. That's the irony. (laughs) I've hopefully got smarter in the last two and a half years and our opinions have evolved heaps and changed. And I think we're far less sure of ourselves in the things we have to say now than we were back then. I think we had a kind of brashness to us that was helpful in the beginning, but just isn't possible anymore. So I think that's the funniest part about doing this job is our interests have changed a lot. Like the things we want to talk Mm. about have changed a lot, just because we've got older Our listeners as well. I think it's
0: interesting, like the OG listeners, I think sometimes have gotten feedback that the content of the show isn't the same as what it was in those first six months or that first year. And while I respect that, and I understand that some people will always want what we first put out and they miss that kind of content. I think there are other podcasts doing that now. Like I really don't think that that has to be our space all the time. And I truly think that now Zara and I save our big opinions and we did share them on this week's show in particular, but we do share our big opinions for the moments that
1: count. I mean, to be honest, it's not even like it was a deliberate thread. I mean, these are just the conversations that we were having all the time. Like we cared about this stuff, but we also cared about like the meteor stuff behind what is seen as kind of a frivolous industry, which is the entertainment industry. Like I have always been interested in it. And so is Mish. And I think that's why we've really bonded because we've had very similar interests for a very long time and often different opinions on it. It's actually funny. I wonder if our opinions are becoming more similar as we do the podcast more. <laughs> I, I thought to myself the other day, I don't think we've had like a big disagreement in a while, which means maybe we need to spend more time apart.
0: Yeah, which is so funny. But I wonder if that's just us growing up, though. Like, yeah, I wonder true. if and I wonder as well, I don't think we did this, but I wonder if in the early days we would really lean into
1: yes. polarized
0: opinions. Like if we sensed out that maybe there was one thing we disagreed on, we would focus on that. But I think we learned pretty quickly that the listeners tune in because they they find our friendship and the dynamic quite inviting. And I love that. Like I, the biggest compliment to us is when our listeners say that they feel like our friends or they feel like they know us. They genuinely do know us. There's not much that we don't say on the podcast. We... I hope, are pretty generous with our lives and ourselves. Uh, but, yeah, I think we've definitely kind of tilted away from that disagreement, debate style to more of a, this is like a chat with your girlfriends over a glass of wine or over a morning coffee.
2: Yeah, that hot take culture being sort of deliberately counterpoints is um, that does sort of wear mm. a bit thin. I mean, look, I think it's very healthy that you do disagree on a lot of things on air. I mean, what's it like in terms of um, off-air creatively? I mean, do you have many disagreements? Do you have... um
1: (laughs) All the time. (laughs) I think, like, most days... I mean, the scale of the disagreement always changes, but, like, I think most days we'd have a different opinion on how to go about things, and I think it's interesting... Um, taking sort of what is a very creative relationship into a business relationship too, because neither of us have any experience in kind of working for ourselves and sort of, you know, keeping a business afloat and not sinking it into the ground. Um, And we disagree on how best to go about it. But I think what I've said for a very long time, and I think the general rule that we go by is, we generally are pretty good at getting a sense of who's more passionate in the exchange. And I think our line is almost, well, okay, you definitely seem a bit more passionate about this than I am. So we'll go with you. Um, And that's basically how we get by it. But it's never very like, I mean, I don't really see it as a disagreement. It's just, I don't know, we have different opinions all the time. Well, I
0: was about to say, it sounds to me like when you were talking, then I'm like, oh, it sounds like there's conflict in the office sometimes. But that's the funny thing that we disagree frequently, but it's always free of actual conflict. Like we never get offended by the other's difference in opinion. We never get really upset with each other. Like we don't fight. We don't get pissed off with each other really at all. So it's kind of like we, I think because we met through work and we always had that professional relationship as the foundation of our friendship, We just work well together and we challenge each other, I think, in a really great way. I've never worked with someone or interacted with someone in the way that I do with Zara. There's just something about it that is so symbiotic and just great. I would hate to have a person around me that's always a yes person in my ear telling me that everything I put out into the world is brilliant because it's just not the case. I feel like Zara and I have definitely found a way to communicate where we are just so transparent and so candidly honest with each other. And I think that's what you need in a business partner and a podcast host in particular, because it would be such boring content if we were just always in each other's ear going, absolutely, absolutely a hundred percent. Like you need a bit of friction and you need to kind of be able to pick and prod at each other for people to enjoy it. And also for the business to be successful.
3: Yeah, it seems like you you think about all sides of the argument, actually. You're speaking to people from all walks of life there and it's it's Mm. kind of unpacking and understanding and giving the audiences that understanding of, you know, people as well. And we are different, but we've got a lot in common and it's finding that commonality that really seems to work for you guys.
1: Yeah, well, I think when you say like you seem to kind of unpack things and kind of go in almost a circular way in real time, it's probably a skill that we've learned in doing this because I think, I mean... There's no denying that when you are releasing two podcast episodes a week in 2020, you have to be really thoughtful about the words you put into the world. And I would hate to just spit thoughtless words into a microphone and put it out into the world for the sake of it. Like you have to genuinely pour over every word. And I would hate for people just hear that and think that it's all manufactured, but it is a very thoughtful process. And I never want to have um, a debate or kind of present an argument on the podcast where I haven't given it all of my thought and all of my attention because I don't think that's a very fair or respectful thing to do for the listeners. Like I think it's the most responsible thing we can do to think about every side. So I I think you're right. I think it's also something that we've evolved into. I don't think that we were always doing that, but I think, like I said, it's a responsibility we've grown into as the the podcast has grown.
0: I think as well, the in-convo guests that we get on now certainly reflect what we're interested in more than what they did in 2018 and 2019. I feel like when we, to be really transparent, when we brought in In Conversation as a series we wanted to do, it was really an idea that we had to boost our listenership. We thought we don't have advertising spend. We're putting these posters up in universities. What is a way to get more ears on our podcast and we thought, well, if we get influencers and big identities on the show and they share it on their Instagram feed, then maybe people will come listen. And that tactic has been the best tactic in growing Shameless and that's all it was in the early days. It was just a strategy to grow the main Monday episode. But pretty quickly, or it probably actually took us a year, probably wasn't as quick as what it could have been, (laughs) we realised that the In Conversation episodes were downloaded just as much as the Monday episodes. In fact, our most downloaded episodes of Shameless are in conversation episodes. Um, I think our top three episodes are all in convos. And we realized, no, this needs to be a space where we're having really thoughtful, interesting conversations with different kinds of people. And I, I look at the people we've had across 2020, whether it's Julia Gillard or Jamila Jamil, and I'm really proud of the different kinds of stories we've told, and we probably didn't do that well enough in 2019 because it just wasn't enough of a focus for us. But it's definitely something we are very invested in right now.
3: How did you find it when you first started interviewing people? Had you done much in the way of interviews on a specific person before? And you know what practices did you go about to prepare and, and then make sure that you were equipped to go toe to toe with Julia Gillard now and yeah. from the early stages?
1: I mean, we'd interview people for as like digital journalists, but I think it's a completely different game. Like, I don't think it's very similar at all. I mean, it's funny in those early days, we didn't. <laughs> We did not even really have a conversation about how the interview was going to work. I remember driving to our first interview. It was in Richmond. And I remember asking Michelle on the way there being like, so how are we going to do this as two people? Like, how are we going to have body language? <laughs> and that our body language is a huge part of what we do now, because I think I know it's not just moving back from the mic, but I think it's just like small hand gestures we'll always make with each other when there are two people interviewing that you have to have so that I can read what she's thinking or where she's going next. What we always wanted to do from pretty early on is if people were giving us their time and early on when we had no listeners, people really were doing us a favor, we wanted to give them the respect of doing our research. So we would spend quite a few hours pouring over the minutiae of people's lives and quotes they've given four years ago to try and paint a picture because I think that we thought that was the very least we could do if someone was giving us their time and I think that attitude hasn't changed like we always want someone to sit with us and feel like okay these girls really do know what I'm here to talk about or know what they kind of want to get out of this interview and I think it's the best way to get the best out of somebody else
3: do you ever feel like you haven't nailed an interview
1: There have been interviews that
0: we've done, more than a handful actually, probably nearing 10, that never went to air. Like it's pretty clear to us when we just don't want to run something. And Zara and I will know very, very quickly if it's just not right. And often that's on us. Like we never see that as a reflection of the person being interviewed. That's our job as interviewers to put out something that is – good and something that is interesting to listen to and something where it flows nicely and it feels natural and that's something that I think any interviewer can probably say that they have had off days. So it's not like we beat ourselves up about it too much, but we just want to make sure that we always cultivate an environment where people feel really like just feel really safe, to be honest. We never want to feel like people are there for a gotcha moment or that we're gonna run to the Daily Mail with things they said and take them out of context. We We always talk to our producer, Annabelle, and we always find it really interesting when she listens through and edits the show, what pull out quote she wants to pick up. She always sends us four and we kind of talk about it back and forth because at the beginning of every In Conversation episode, there is a snippet of that person talking. And that's actually quite a process for us that we really do try to think hard about. To be honest, every episode we put out, it's not like we put out a bunch of content every week, but we want to make every piece really good. And it really does get to me. And I think Zara would say the same for herself. It gets to me when I feel like we've had a bad week, or I feel like this week's content hasn't lived up to what last week's content does. I think about it so much. And I probably also look back at the past with rose colored glasses, but I beat myself up, not if the content's good, but if the content isn't better than what it was before. Uh, And I, I really don't like putting out mediocre in conversation interviews. So it's an interesting one, but I think because we're also invested in the show, we're also invested in what we're doing. I mean, everyone we work with is young women and they're all, they've are they all like listened to the show and been with us on the journey. We're all just there for each other and we all just want to put out really good content uh, every single day. So it's a really great office to be in. I know I'm the boss and I know that Zara <laughs> and I obviously are going to be. The most into it but we just genuinely love the little team that we have.
2: I want to talk a little bit about your process so going back to I guess the first episode when you started out you had this recording device um, but what was your process?
1: Not much has changed since that first week small things have we always wanted to have three kind of main segments we wanted to have the quick and dirty small things have changed I mean the first episode we scripted the quick and dirty which we'll never <laughs> do again um, and we never did since and sometimes we will go to an episode And we usually plan it. So, at the moment, we're recording on a Sunday, the day before the episode drops, which is not good for our social lives, but great for Mm. content um, in terms of, you know, you give the whole week to kind of flourish and and give you as many stories as you can. So, we'll often go to each other on a Sunday morning and we will kind of throw it. But you have been throwing ideas out all week and we'll spend probably an hour talking about what stories will work and where they will work in the episode. We will then sit down for more than three hours each, just really thrashing them out ourselves, doing reading, making sure we have pull-out quotes we want to um, use, just making sure, like we, I said before, that we have given the story every thought we possibly could have. Then we sit down to record. It's usually, I don't know, about an hour to an hour and 15. Um, so not not much is usually cut, to be honest, from the final cut, but it's been like that from the start. And in terms of process of getting, you know, the show to air, it's pretty amazing how our, our first processes haven't really changed in two and a half years.
2: And you were both editing or one of you?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. We, um, we trained ourselves how
0: to edit on YouTube and it was a process. There were some episodes that went up in that first year that had major technical problems in them or <laughs> editing flaws or whatever. We don't edit anymore. We brought Annabelle on. uh, We were producing a podcast for another company called She's on the Money. And we had known Annabelle uh, in a previous job. So we asked her to come across and host that for us. And then we trained her how to edit shows. So Annabelle is our producer at the moment and does all that stuff for us, um, which has been great, to be honest. I think Zara and I love hosting. We love being across podcasts but the actual editing on audition is not our strong suit at all so it's been great to be able to outsource that but otherwise our process is so similar to what it was in the very very early days we we share a google doc and uh we don't look at each other's notes and yeah we just we also make sure as well that we never have a chat about a segment before we do the segment we decide on the topic and then we're like do not say another word don't speak to me, save it for the podcast, save it for the podcast, save it for the podcast. That is the golden rule of shameless. We feel like if we ever manufacture something, it never comes across right. So it's very important to us that the first time we thrash something out is recorded. It's not something that we're trying to recreate after the fact.
3: Does this happen if you go out for a drink together during the week and you've discussed something yeah. quite passionately, wipe it from the record?
0: We seriously, like, as soon as we realize, like, we stop ourselves sometimes, we halfway through a con- like, we'll start a conversation, then we'll look at each other like, this is a segment. Stop. Like, th- no, save it for the podcast. We do it all the time to each other. So. And it's also tempting because sometimes we're so passionate, we want to figure out what the other one thinks. Uh, but I think, to be honest, we keep coming back to Monique Bowley. She has been so crucial in building Shameless, and it's so many little gems that she planted in our brains, I think, in the very, very early days. She was the person that told us that. She was also the person that told us a podcast is not just a chat between you two. If you're not going to put any prep into it and if you're not going to savor every second that you have with your listeners, no one's going to listen. People are going to feel like, well, I'm not involved. You two are just having a chat. What am I even doing here? Am I in the room? Like you always want the listener to feel like they're sitting at the table with you. And I think Mons probably wouldn't even know We try to tell her at every turn, but she in those very early days, was crucial in building this show because she was our mentor and she was the one who guided us and if we didn't have her in our lives, God knows what we would have put out as that first episode. It would, it would have been even worse than it already was.
2: <laughs> I think the brilliance of your show is that you're using these conversations about pop culture to then uh, have broader discussions. And it's sort of a gateway through and you're getting people in that way, but then you're having these amazing conversations around it, which are incredibly relatable.
1: It's a bit of a Trojan horse, I think.
2: <laughs> so back at the beginning, um, were you watching the downloads? Were you sort of uploading and then just hitting refresh every two minutes?
1: Yes, every two minutes, genuinely. <laughs> I, I, It sounds like I'm joking, but we weren't. Um, we had like spreadsheets from the start. I think our first episode had about four 400 listeners, and I have no doubt it was just people we went to high school with who were curious about what the fuck we were putting (laughs) into the world. Um, But we had spreadsheets. We had sort of targets on where we wanted episode downloads to be, where we wanted, you know, followings to be um, across our social media, and every single week we'd do it in 10-week blocks. And I think (laughs) at the start of every 10 weeks, we'd kind of forecast where we'd want to be by the end of the 10 weeks, and then we'd get to the end of 10 weeks, and then we'd have a meeting um and it was always after hours or in some weird restaurant because you know we were working different jobs and and we continuously plan and want to have those targets in place and I I say now it's a nice story to say like yes we we cared a lot from the start but I think the embarrassing thing is if if somebody found those spreadsheets at the time when we were only reaching 500 listeners it would probably have looked a little bit sad but I think that's Mm. That's what you need to tell people from the start is, like, take it seriously. Like, absolutely take it seriously from from the earliest of um, days and from the earliest of episodes because I think that's one of the major reasons we've been able to get here is because we care very deeply and ha- always have about the downloads, about the, the numbers.
2: Was there an episode or a moment which really saw things take off?
0: Yeah, there was. It was episode nine. It was called fact-checking a healing princess. It was I yeah, fact-checking an influencer on YouTube and Instagram who told her followers that she cured cervical dysplasia, which is when you have abnormal cells on your cervix. It's a precursor to cervical cancer. She said she healed them by drinking green smoothies and oh. meditating and wellness. And Zara and I, I think it was one of the core reasons that we even began Shameless. We became became really, really frustrated with people with influence online misusing that influence and not being held to account. And I think it was perhaps a shortcoming of mainstream media that no one was really paying attention to Instagram influences and the words that they were saying and the messages they were putting onto young women. People kind of looked at Instagram and went, Well, that's silly. Business and it's teeth whitening on, it's waist trainers, but it's not that serious. And I think as two women who grew up in that environment were probably at the I think we grew up in the embryonic stages of influence where when I was 18 and 19, I was influenced to buy laxative teas and starve myself. And I knew how much my relationship with my body was influenced by these women. And then I got to the age of 23 and was like, that is bullshit. Like the, the stuff that these people are putting out is bullshit and it's harmful and it's dangerous. And I'm mad about it. Like I'm mad what these people made me do when I was 18 and they didn't know any better. And Zara felt the same about different things. She felt that about tanning oil and things that perhaps risk getting melanoma that she didn't know about that influencers told her when she was a teenager. So yeah, that episode we put out about this woman that the mainstream media had never discussed, but a lot of young women felt really concerned about. A lot of doctors felt really concerned about. We spoke to the science community. We got uh, statements from Cancer Victoria, we spoke to doctors and we put out this episode that was really uh, meaningful to us and important to us, and I think it was just word of mouth and that's really how we've grown since day one. People started going, finally someone's talking about this and they're at least trying to talk about it in a way that isn't really bitchy. We don't want to come for women and attack their personalities, attack their appearance be like a gossip magazine. It's never been our game. I would hate to ever appear to be bullying someone, but I will critique your actions. If I think your actions are dangerous, I will a hundred percent tell you that, but I'm not going to call you evil. I'm not going to say that you look bad or that I don't like your hair, but I'll ask you to be better and be accountable for what you do. So That episode really did find us a listenership. And I think that was when we realized, hang on, this podcast is snowballing. Like week after week, we're finding thousands of new listeners all of a sudden. And all these new women are coming to our Instagram page and following us. And that's when we realized there's got to be something here because we have an audience and surely you can monetize that audience.
3: I think the holding influencers to account message is very strong. You both carry a bit of influence now. How do you manage that responsibility?
0: I would just hope that even someone – even if like Shameless isn't for someone and they stumble across the show and go, it's not really for me, I would just hope that they would at least think that Zara and I don't want to misuse our platform. I'm sure we'll make mistakes along the way, whether it be posting a tone-deaf Instagram meme or whether it be doing a segment that doesn't land quite right. We know we will make mistakes at some point or another. But I would hope that someone would walk away from the show and go, well, at least they take their influence seriously. Because we do have influence and we don't ever want to ignore that given where we came from and why we started this show in the first place. We have turned down so many different products across the last two years and different brands that want to work with us that just don't fit within our ethos. And it's a funny thing for a business. But when you have such strong opinions, which both Zara and I do, and we are so passionate about social justice, it really does cancel a lot of the brands that you can collaborate with because a lot of brands do some shady shit. So it's an interesting one for us. I think it's something that we're constantly trying to check back in on. I think it's as well that it's so good to see this next generation come up. I know that some people are quite disdainful towards Gen Z and like the TikTok generation, but God, they're whip smart and they're switched on and they have so much to teach. Zara and I, I feel like we sometimes feel out of touch. We need to tap back into those people and be like, wow, this next generation really knows their stuff and they're pretty incredible. So it's something we constantly need to check ourselves on because I don't want to ever get cocky. I think especially the more we've been in this sphere and we've met more people through in convo episodes and we've had more to do with the industry, we sometimes see people lose their way and get overly confident about what they're putting out. And I don't want to do that. And that's why I love having Zara by my side, because I would hope that if one of us ever started flying off with the clouds, the other one would pull them back down and be like, no, 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 no. That's not who we are. This is who we are. And I think we're very, very good at doing that to each other and grounding each other.
2: You have restrictions around the type of brands you'll work with. Um, how have you approached your monetization?
1: Um, at the start, we didn't really know what we were doing. We kind of got to a point where we thought we had enough uh, streams or downloads to kind of, you know, merit going into advertising going to advertisers and saying, you know, we think we've got something quite valuable here. So um we had lunch together. I was on a lunch break when I was working at Domain for six months between, you know, leaving Mamma Mia and going to Shameless full time and we were talking about how we were going to do this. And so after the lunch break, Mish just went through Woolworths in South Melbourne where my office was and kind of wrote down all the names of brands that we kind of used in the um, FMCG kind of industry. And we were like, okay, let's just contact them and we kind of went through a process of guessing every market Marketing manager in Australia's email address using kind of dodgy in- email generators online and it started to work and then we started working with a talent manager um, who kind of sold our podcast ad space on our behalf and sometimes we would kind of lump in shameless podcast Instagram content but I think one rule we've had from the start is that Mission I will never put sponsored content on our own personal pages. I mean we're not influencers in the sense of I don't want to be A brand in and of myself like happy for shameless to be the brand happy for shameless to make the money but that's not me and that's not her so that's kind of the only distinction and then very recently we kind of left the talent manager dynamic and brought someone on in-house who still does the same thing sells the podcast and the shameless podcast instagram space
0: yeah, one thing
1: we also do as well is bespoke podcasts as well for brands.
0: So we've done, yeah. uh, she's on the money and then we launched Love Etc. with Bumble. And to Zara's point about guessing people's email addresses, the way we got Love Etc., which is about to go into its third season was we guessed Michelle Battersby. She at the time was the country lead of Bumble across the APAC region. We just guessed her email address, sent her an email by like, would you ever want Bumble to have a podcast about love and sex and dating? And she got back to us and said, yes, let's do it when can we meet and what's the price? And, and so Zara and I email? just kind of, th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. We just guessed a million different ones. So that's how we also monetize and that we make podcasts for brands, but we have been really selective with that. We've only done choosing the money and we've only done love, etc. cetera. And we're glad that we stuck to love, etc. in particular, because it's about to go into its third season and we just bloody love doing it. It's such a fun show to put out.
2: Tell us about your audience. Does it differ much between the different platforms, say Instagram to the Conversations podcast to the, the Monday morning podcast?
0: Uh, it's a really interesting one. Not really. We find that we have slightly more men following us on Instagram than who actually listen to the podcast, which is an interesting one. They must like the memes.
2: So more than 2.7%?
0: Yeah, it's 5% on Insta. Really happy for all the men who follow us on there. Biggest <laughs> share of the pie. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because... We actually did a listener insight survey recently and we found that our listenership is very, very centric to women in their 20s on the Eastern seaboard in particular. And we always knew that our listenership was very much similar, very much like Zara and I and like the women who work in the office with us. But we didn't realize just how much like it was so funny looking at this graph of women in their 20s and it's really concentrated to the ages of 21 to 27 That's really where like the vast majority of shameless listeners sit. And so I guess I I really love that though. Like I love the idea that we have that specific woman tuning into the show because that's who Zara and I made the show for. We made it for our sisters and our friends and those tend to be the people who come along. Like of course we have outliers who might be far older or far younger. We have men call our hotline every week, which is pretty funny as well, hearing what they think about the show. Uh, But I just really love that we found the audience that we have because we genuinely love everyone who listens. And it's it's been interesting as well putting out our book this year. It was almost a relief to see the demographic of our listenership because it really does tie into the book about our 20s that we just released in September. So it all kind of
1: works together.
3: Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book, The Space Between?
1: Oh, book plug. Shameless book plug. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can give you the elevator pitch, which is the space between is a collection of thoughts, ruminations on life in your 20s. Um, It is not a self-help book. It is not a guide. It is just simply there to make people feel less alone, we hope, where Mish and I kind of (laughs) mine our lives for trauma and then put it out into the world. (laughs) Not that there's that much.
2: We'll put a Booktopia link in the show notes.
1: Oh, Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Um, we just took a,
3: a, I suppose you would say, a slight little segui there. I'd like to just jump back <laughs> <Nice>. on to...
1: <laughs> I respect, that's research.
3: <laughs> I'd like to just jump back on to knowing your audience and, and and the hotline that you've set up. When did you decide that that was going to be a good way to interact with your audience?
0: Oh, I'm so glad we did it. I don't know why. If, actually, I think it might have been Sam Kavanagh. Sam Kavanagh from Southern cross Stereo, we're not with, that podcasting network, we're independent, but he has been a bit of a mentor to us over the last year. And I think he was the one to say, guys, have you ever thought of incorporating the listeners so much? Like you have Facebook groups, you've got Instagram, but what about actually hearing their messages on your show? And it took us a teething period for sure. Like it was a bit clunky, in the beginning but I think we've now hit our stride and we've figured out where it works in the show and I love going through the hotline messages it's a shame that we don't have more time to platform them I think eventually we're going to do a big bumper episode at the end of the year where we play all the hotline messages and we react to more of them because we get over 100 every week and we only end up playing one
1: two or three
2: the cliche is that you learn more from your failures than from your successes what are some of the biggest lessons that you've had on your journey?
1: I think the biggest one is just because people say no doesn't mean that you should pursue it. I shouldn't pursue it, I should say. Oh, my God, that's <laughs> a terrible message to send to people out on. Um, I think that's a big one. I think for us, yeah, as we said from the start, we were told no a lot, and I think backing ourselves and kind of knowing knowing when to back ourselves has been a huge one. Um, I think another thing for us has been when things go wrong has been when we pivot really fiercely, like we are like, okay, that didn't work or some ball dropped just then we need to change things and we need to change them right now. And I think they've been the best things that have happened for us because it's often forced our hand to say, we need to make a decision here where we need to change the way we're doing things. And now almost always that decision has been the best thing ever. And I know that's kind of a vague way to put something, but um, all of our best decisions I think have happened because things have gone wrong.
0: Mm, I think as well, it's been a huge lesson in feedback, figuring out what feedback is worthwhile and constructive and what feedback is just part and parcel with having over 100,000 people tune into a Monday show within a week. Like if you're going to have that many people tune in, at least 1% will probably have some issue with one thing that you said. So that was definitely, again, a teething issue that Zara and I needed to work through and it's something that I think we went through in March, April, May, June of this year, where it was like, this show has grown so much bigger than we ever thought it would. Uh, We don't know how to deal with an audience of this size. We don't have a company where things go to a producer before they come to us. We don't have like a, a wall between the feedback and us. We are the entire company, the entire show. So I think that's been big for our mental health, that we're now in a place where we're really happy. Like we genuinely love our work. We feel so fulfilled by it. And we're able to approach feedback in a way that is far better for our well-being. I think it's also interesting that the bigger the show gets, the bigger the noise gets, positive and negative. And it's good to kind of come back to yourself and come back to why we started this in the first place and the people who have known us since the very beginning and stay true to all of that.
2: Oh, that's so good to hear because you're doing amazing work. And I mean, I guess there's people always trying to pull down successful women. Um, you know, already enough people trying to do that. So I'm glad you're in a great space there. What would you tell anyone who was starting a new podcast?
1: I think I would say be be really conscious of the minutes that you're taking up of somebody's time. I think, as I said before, it is quite a saturated space and people can click off and go elsewhere. And to be honest, they probably will. So I think it's like being thoughtful um, about what you're putting into the world and what kind of hole you're filling. Like, are you saying the same thing that's existing on every other podcast or is there a reason that people come to you? And what is that reason that people come to you? I think that's a big one because I think people come to us all the time and say, is the, you know, industry too saturated for me to start my own thing? And we'll always say no, but you have to know exactly why you're doing it. And you can't just be doing it because you see a podcast that you want to emulate. Yeah.
0: And mine would be, and I think Zara will back this as well. We, we try and mentor a lot of people behind the scenes to try and support, particularly women in the industry. And it's something that we've both noticed over the last year of mentoring different people that some people just don't start. Like they get stuck in this phase of planning and planning and planning for like, a year of this podcast they're going to launch. Give yourself a deadline and launch it. You're never going to be perfect in episode one. You kind of need to sit in that prospect of failure that we just spoke about and lessons and learning. Like you're going to learn on the job. You're going to get better. You're not going to get better just sitting in your bedroom thinking about this imaginary podcast. You need to just launch and figure it out as you go. If Zara and I were the exact same at the beginning for you, the same podcast artwork, same jingle, same format, same approach, we never would be where we are today. Like you're going to grow and learn on the job and I just wish more people dove straight in instead of waiting to feel like they're ready because realistically you're never going to feel like you're ready. You're never going to feel 100% good about what you're doing but you have to take the risk and take the leap anyway.
2: Couldn't agree with you more. I mean running a podcast network, we get so many people who come to us with different concepts and they just want to navel gaze and work on it for 12 weeks. It's like just totally. grit. close your eyes and go. Like just grit. yes, let's do big it. One. So, I know that you like
3: to ask your guests what they've been watching, reading and listening to. (laughs) Uh, We're obviously a podcast about podcasts, so we'll skip the first two (laughs) and just ask you what you've been listening to or what you like to listen to in your off time.
1: I um am... a huge and predictable listener of the daily. I think I listen to it, if not every day, every second day. I think it is like the best produced podcast in the entire world. And I think that it is helpful and smart and I couldn't recommend it more on a week to week basis. I really do like listening to The Cut's new podcast. Um, I loved their first podcast that they did The Cut on Tuesdays and they've just kind of re-released a podcast into that same feed, just called The Cut. And it is really, really good. I do love that one. I back those recommendations and
0: I'll just give one recommendation. I'm not not listening to it right now, but it's probably the best podcast in my eyes of 2020. It's called Dying for Sex. It's out of the US and I think Wondery. And it's just the most powerful emotive listen that I've ever had. And I devoured all of those episodes. And I think every person, I think it's a shame if people don't listen to that Podcast series. I think it's a real shame because <laughs> I, it has stuck with me. Zara hasn't followed my recommendation. By the way, no, I have because you spoiled her. it. Remember when you spoiled I, it? Yeah, but you can still get something out of listening. We've discussed yeah. this so many times. You can still get something out of listening to
1: it. I have not spoiled the like magic. That's of the such show. a funny way to recommend something. By the way, it's a real shame <laughs> if you don't spend your time listening to what I'm telling no, you to listen to.
0: It has changed me. This show, oh, yeah. guys, has changed me. So if you're listening, dying for sex. Look it up now. It's not what you think it is, stick out stick it out for like beyond episode one and you will come and thank me. I can guarantee it.
3: Fantastic. A spoiler free recommendation. So that's well appreciated. <laughs> Hey, look, the other thing that's much appreciated is your time today. Obviously, thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time. Congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on being out of lockdown.
2: Yeah, go enjoy yourselves. We don't want to keep you you. from your lovely dinners. Yeah, and Michelle, congratulations (laughs) on Richmond.
1: Our first dinners. Thank you so much for having us, guys. It's been a great week.
0: Richmond and now a Mexican dinner.
3: Thanks, as always, for listening to Behind the Podcast. Zara Michelle's recommendations are in the show notes, plus everything else shameless. If you're looking for other great titles, head over to the Australian Podcast Awards site for all of the 2020 finalists.